So let me read you this quote real quick. Um, and then you can tell me, does this, does this sound like a cool thing to even start the show with? Okay. This is Thomas Burton. What can we gain by sailing to the moon if we are not able to cross the abyss that separates us from ourselves? This is the most important of all voyages of discovery. And without it, all the rest are not only useless, but disastrous. He's a seven-story mountain guy, Thomas Merton. Who is he? He wrote The Seven-Story Mountain. Oh. Yeah. I don't know I, No, I, I totally know this guy. That's a great quote. I'm so glad you read that. I, he was, when I, when we were in college, I was going through this whole discernment process about, you know, my relationship with God and what does that look like? And I had a buddy who was on staff at the, as an RA uh, with me, and he was planning on going into the seminary. And he said, dude, whatever you do, you have to read this book. This is the only book you need, and it will help you ask the right questions, and then you'll decide. And if it will, you'll know definitively at the end of this discernment process because Merton's really good. And it was, he was totally right. Read the book, didn't go into the seminary. <laughs> that was me. <laughs> it made wow. the choice very easy. I, yes. Wow. Okay. Hey. All right. How about, how about if we just, we, you know, we start with like the greeting and, and we say, Pete, we have a lot of things to talk about today, as you know. Yeah, I think we're already, I think we've already started. Who are we kidding? It's an afterthought, Stodge. Oh, I haven't started recording. Yet. Yeah, it's already done. Well, I'm going to record anyway, Pete. Yeah, no, you definitely need to record. It's a podcast for crying out loud. Quote jumped out. Are you sure we can't start over? I'm really sure. That was too good. It was too natural. It's too natural. Too good. (laughs) Too authentic. No, we're done. It's cemented. Let me just tell any of you all people out there, if you ever work with Pete, you got to be real careful about when you start your recording (laughs) and when he, more importantly, starts his recording because you never know what he's going to actually just print. And you don't really have that much say over it. I'm telling you, you think you do, but you don't. I've got 10 minutes (laughs) Of gold on my end. You'll never even know. You'll never even know until you hear you, the feet, the final episode, the final recording. Does Nothing. anyone understand? I hate him. God, yeah. ten he always does this minutes. to me. Ugh, ten you know what? Of gold. I quit. What? That's it. I'm done. Our friendship is over. <laughs> <laughs> I can't yeah, podcast can't with this level of, of like this level of <laughs> amateur. <laughs> In terms, bring me my blue M and M's. At all times, Big Brother is listening. That's really yeah, what's going on right. here. You didn't all hear right, the so Zoom lady? She said we are being recorded. Dodge. It was written in the stars. <laughs> the Zoom lady already said it. Okay, tell me about the quote. You were being recorded. Well, I'm going to read it again. This is beautiful because now I want people to hear this. Really. What can we gain by sailing to the moon if we are not able to cross the abyss that separates us from ourselves? This is the most important of all voyages of discovery, and without it, all the rest are not only useless, but disastrous. I feel like that really nails this show, man. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty good. Right? Because, like, every single guest at some level is saying, like... 
The problem is we're disconnected from ourselves. Mm -hmm. And that means that all these other voyages of discovery are not only useless, but disastrous. We get ourselves into so much trouble trying to get away from ourselves, Mm -hmm. away from this experience we can't accept. And as we learned from our last guest, really the only solution is to die. And, you know, how lucky are you if you come back? Exactly. Then you'll figure figure it out. Fixes everything. Yeah. (laughs) That fixes everything. (laughs) (laughs) So you and I have been having a hell of a conversation for a couple of weeks, about two, three, four, pretty much since Bruce almost, Mm -hmm. um, since Bruce Grayson and that episode about what are we doing next? I had a really interesting experience coming out of that show where I felt on one level that was strangely quiet and unfamiliar to me, finished. Like there is a weird feeling of completion. Mm-hmm. I couldn't figure out what that was about. How much is that, you know, well, I just did do a whole episode on near-death experiences, or maybe it was just that we had finished season two and I was exhausted or something. Mm-hmm. But it stayed with me. We started talking about like, do we keep going? Yeah. And a part of what I've been sitting with on my, you know, mind and heart for a long time is on the one hand, I freaking love this. Mm-hmm. I love you. I love the work you're doing for this show. You make this whole thing so much better. This would be totally impossible without you. Let's just name <laughs> that right from the start. I mean, like, none of this would have happened without Pete. This was not happening with anyone else. Um, but I've loved our guests. I've loved a lot of this process. I've loved the coming out of shows, feeling really energized and feeling a whole level, new level of awareness. Even pouring yeah. over the books in free time can be amazing. And it's freaking demanding. Even if you've got a superstar making the whole show part happen, just yeah. making the interviews happen is yeah. a lot of work. It is. It, it is, is a lot, lot of work. work. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a gamble. And, and, um, you know, as as an aside, part of it is it. You know, we we tried to make a go of of this of the membership part of it, right? Like, at, I imagine if you're a paying member here and you're a supporter, it, you're sitting there saying, "But wait a minute, I've been supporting you." Um, mm-hmm. It it would have been a much easier conversation to have if, frankly, we had some more of you. But you know, we we didn't quite get there. We didn't get over the hump of of all of our of our time and expense of the show. Uh, and, and I don't mean like just expense, like service, but intellectual expense, emotional expense of the show um, being covered so that we could, frankly, make enough so that we could make choices in favor of the show. That's that's a real practical, sure. practical part of it. Yep. Well, making sure that first my production team, dear as you are, are paid for all of your time. And then eventually that we get enough over that, even beyond that hump that I can do a little less of what yeah. I do professionally so I have some more hours in the week to read all yeah. these books <laughs> right, and right. think up these people and come up with great questions and know what the heck my outline actually says on my iPad. Yeah, yeah, all those things. And a big piece of why we didn't get there has nothing to do with the wonderful loyalty of the folks who have supported us because yes. I've gotten so much good feedback and people have been, you know, both monthly and annual patrons and it's been really so... So gratifying, gratifying and yeah. oh, touching to me. But it's also been that I haven't had enough time between my practice and my family and my household and my life um, and then preparing for all these interviews to promote this show the way I yeah. need to. 
And I started looking at season three and thinking, that's not going to change. Like, I'm not coming up with more time. Yeah. Um, And to really jump into the next piece, which was really promoting this properly, I was just like, this isn't fair to Pete and Andy. I can't keep that part of it up fast enough. But there was really also a a deeper piece. Um, And of course, I'm toggling back and forth because I'm still really wanting to do this. Yeah. But it was that quieter voice that was going, so wait, why do I, why do I, why would I even feel done? Well, yeah, that's Bruce's fault. That's Bruce's fault. A hundred percent. Yeah, it's his fault. I think both of us were like, well, uh, how do you top that? Like, he just said, here's the existential question of the universe. And uh, this is, I've been researching it for like 50 years. And uh, I don't know what you guys are going to add. Good luck. <laughs> yeah. And the interview, it's, I mean, was it was a bit of a mic drop experience. Like, yeah. it literally, he was hitting the next thing on my outline all by himself. Like, yeah. everything segue. I mean, it was, it was really, it was like, that's why we do this show. So, it's been really interesting kind of falling back on so much wisdom. I've, you know, been fortunate enough to gain from these many guests over this whole year. That's gotten me kind of sitting in my process, you know, from Dave's Gibbons of life to the yeah. many guests who taught us different ways to engage one's experience. But I kept just trying to say, like, so what if I don't separate from myself here? Like, what if I stay close to me? So I finally end up calling up Ted. Claus, friend of, people dear friend is, of the show. Dear friend of the show, our only two-time guest. He would have been a 27-time guest if we'd gone as many years as we <laughs> certainly had material out there in the world to cover. Um, and he asked me a really interesting question. He just listened in his quiet way, and then he said, so I'm curious, Dodge, have you ever had an experience of just feeling complete, feeling finished, and not going into angst about it? Yeah, that's a great question for Dodge. And talked and round and round. And I realized, no, actually, no, never once. Not in a relationship, not in a, I mean, there's just nothing that has come to an ending where I just felt perfect. That's where I want to stop. And then didn't go into, uh uh-oh, but what about? And the place I go, which I think lots out there will, will relate to is, yeah, but... What about Pete? What about our members? What about our listeners? What about the people who count on this show and write to me every week about it? You know, what about all our guests? Does this dishonor that? Like everybody else's experience. And I immediately, you know, abandon any Mm -hmm. thought of, but what do I know deep down? And so I said, you know, I basically just fell all over my words. And he was like, that's kind of what I thought. Yeah. And, you know, that's most of us. Yeah. And then he said something really interesting. And he said, you know, in our culture, we tend to pathologize a sense of completion. We call it quitting mm-hmm. or laziness. Some will point to ADD and say we're just terrible at finishing things. Yeah. Or we'll say we ran out of ideas or we, you know, we got selfish or, right? Like we've got all these ways to say it's not okay when things are going really well and have this bright future, like this show certainly has. I mean, we could go forever on this yeah. subject. Yeah. And he was like, 
And then he told me two stories about places in his life where things were at the very peak and he realized he felt done and felt terrible about it. And both times his wife Margie said, what if you trust yourself? Mm -hmm. What if you were just finished? Yeah. And in this case, finished a lot sooner than I thought. Yeah. You know? Well, I, okay. So I process this stuff very differently than you. <laughs> I sure. think we've, we've run into that together over the last couple of weeks. You, listening, awesome. y'all, we have gotten together to record this episode twice now before this. And both times uh, we ended up talking about this process uh, because for me, when when we had that first conversation about, you know, about Bruce and about the nature of this conversation and are we really done, I walked away from that saying, okay, I guess I guess we're done. Like, I guess that's all we had to say about it. And I got to be heartsick about it for a little while. But the way I process is, okay, let's start cleaning up. Like, the, let's break down the set and start putting things back in the closet and we got to paint the floors and the walls for the next show that comes up. And uh, I was kind of ready. And each week we'd come back and Dodge would say something like, so I've really been thinking about whether or not we should quit. I'm like, dude, I've already put the mic stands away. <laughs> you keep swinging at me like this. And, and, and I think for from and I, it, it makes me really like celebrate Ted's perspective on this, because I think. For me, this was a way, like, putting away, the, like, the show and sort of going into archive mode for the show is a way to duck feeling sad about it and feeling, like, incomplete and feeling like, yeah. wait a minute, I don't know that we've finished saying everything we need to say. Um, because, like you, I don't, I look at you and your life and your time, and I do don't see anything that's going to change for season three based on what I know about you. Like, our process is our yeah. process. If we accept that as given, that's table stakes, then w what else could we possibly do? And so I, like, it's hard for me to step back and say, God, I, I don't like feeling heartsick about, you know, not doing the show with you, about not being a part of this contribution to, you know, the world. Like, it is, it is yeah. a, a wonderful experience for, for me. And I think the last two weeks, I've just been trying so hard not to think about it. Like, things yeah. are busy in other areas, and I just, like, use that as a reason not to, you know, perseverate. Because that's what I normally yeah. would do, you know? You know, it makes me think of something Jerry Campbell said to me a lot of years ago that uh, everybody out there needs to know. Clients of mine have often heard me say it before that uh, he just said, Dodge, people tend to be fundamentally oriented toward questions or fundamentally oriented toward answers. Mm -hmm. And both are awesome. They're both great ways to be. They both have got huge gifts and they both have got real challenges. And he pointed at me and he said, you'd be a real good example of a guy who never stops asking the question. Yeah. Which makes it really hard to arrive at an answer. Yes. Just like I think for me, I answer the question and move on. Like, yes, I'm, once I'm you an got the guy. answer, you yeah. don't ask the question again. You're done. Yep. Yeah. Done, done. Even if like at some point there's something healthy about going back to like, wait, yeah. did we ask the question long enough or yeah. do I need to ask it again finally after this much time or whatever? Um, and those are, they're both great ways to be, and they both have got 
you know, things that are easy and hard about them. But um, but I think, you know, for you and I, I think we exist maybe precariously at the extremes of those. Right. Yeah. I like, would totally agree. Yeah. And that that I is, think is part of why we love each other so it, yeah. much. I get a lot of like he helps me. You help me remember. It's okay to yeah. come up with an answer and then just make it the right one later. Yeah, you know, like right. just go with it. <laughs> it's gonna be well, all right. And, and you remind me that you know maybe arriving at an answer at like thirty percent sort of of processing is too early. <laughs> like maybe you could get to <laughs> sixty, seventy, eighty percent, and and that would be a smarter way to make a choice. Because <laughs> for it me, doesn't I have to be a. Yeah, I could one hundred and seventy percent, like I would do. Like we don't have to reprocess and reprocess. Right, you could think a little bit about it. Like <laughs> you don't have to. Just, You're right. You know, just a little. <laughs> I think some of what got to me in the near death experience, um, you know, reading and preparing and interviewing, was I realized like if I go through a near death experience. And I look back on my life and I haven't done the work I know I'm supposed to do in the world around the gray sequence. I'm really not going to be happy. Yeah. For those out there who don't know what that is, um, the, the gray sequence is a really interesting, simple, but powerful technique I developed years ago at the request of a client, really, that is a wonderful way to work with one's material. And it is almost a perfect summary of all of our guests at the same time, mm -hmm. literally. Like it in one technique kind of captures everything these folks have been saying for a year. Uh, and it's a really neat way to work with one's own stuff. And for therapists, coaches and others, it's a really neat way to help somebody else work with their stuff. And some part of me was like, I don't have space for that in my life right now. I feel like we've done a great job answering this question of what's the weird thing about the paradox around change. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to have to let go of something I absolutely love to pick that up if I want to make space for it in, in my world. Yeah. But I got to do it. Well, and, and honestly, like for me, I'm back pocketing opportunity because of that, which is like, I, I feel like we're, we're taking this show and, archiving it right but i it just i feel like this does not change the opportunity for contribution in a new way as you make Absolutely. more room for the gray sequence and and developing that in your life um because i you know yeah. i'm i'm a grateful recipient of the gray sequence multiple times over my life and um and uh i i find it it is important and i think there is more to talk about a lot more to talk about and I have to say, I'm pretty clear about one thing. We work really well together. Yeah. I have enjoyed the hell out of this and have loved the product. And so, you know, I I'm sure we're going to find cool ways to work together again in the future. Mm -hmm. uh, this time, me not coming on as a total novice. Um, yeah, <laughs> you're a professional a podcaster experience. now. Look at you. That's right. Yeah. I'm a professional. And one thing I've learned is Big Brother's always listening. Always so watch listening. Say, yeah, the mic is, is always hot. The mic is always hot. <laughs> So, you are you are like a hair's breadth away from pulling like a naked gun style Frank Drebin hot mic at the urinal <laughs> moment. Like, really, that that could be you. I just want everybody to know. Everybody gotta watch, gotta watch, gotta watch it. The mic is hot. So I've been looking back a bunch on. I thought I'd started out just looking back on season two, but then I realized, man, we're recapping the whole show. Yeah, um, right. 
And the first thing I did was to go back and listen to our summary of season one. And I got to say, and I guess I did say, and you probably have already recorded this and uh, included it at the beginning of the show. <laughs> that was a really, <laughs> that was a really neat episode. I love that. Yeah. Um, that came out incredibly well. And it reminded me that this project, like my, my dream about this wasn't just that we'd interview a bunch of people and I'd get some cool things, but that they would gel. They'd mm-hmm. come together in some neat ways. And season one really captures that well as we talk about the pilot episode with my brother, Ben, and then Dave Rico and Ted Klontz, Carlene Britton. And then Nikki Kinsner comes on and yeah. talks to us about ADHD, Suman Chaudhry and Linda Odom, and then for members only, Kratos and Yangwei um, comes on as sort of our, our one guest in that season, coming to just tell a personal story, not as a change agent, but an example of an extraordinary life of change. And as I look back on that now... Rather than going through kind of everybody one at a time, which that episode did really well, um, I'm noticing the two themes that really jump out from that are the power of acceptance and the power of observation. Hmm. If you think about kind of the way, and they really work together, right? Everybody's talking about both of them, but some one more than the other. Um, oh, and you know what I forgot in my list is um, Samson Samson Youngway. I was wondering if you were going to come back to police him. violence. Yeah. yeah. So Sam really nails the observation piece. He's looking at police violence in this in this country and saying this has never just been cataloged and truly observed, studied. What happens yeah. if we just organize the data? And begin to present that back to people like a mirror. Mm-hmm. And he's showing some really fascinating change comes as a result of it. But Suman's doing the same thing with just what if we ob- observe our reactivity? Yeah. And Linda, what if we observe our dreams? Yeah. What do they bring to us, right? And everybody from Nikki about ADHD or Carlene in this paradoxical theory of change, just acceptance of self. Ted of others, Dave of the givens of life, Ben of one's kind of feelings and experience. We just, we get to see a lot about the, you know, as as uh, Carl Rogers puts it, the curious paradox is that when I can accept myself as I am, then I can change. Mm-hmm. So that's season one. I, I like the way you put that because I, I think that really clearly, uh, it, it sort of presents the challenges that I feel like I've been dealing with like all my life, which is first, can you, can you truly sit and be present? Right. And, and that's the observe piece. Like, can I really just note what's going on without always thinking five minutes ahead or five minutes behind? Right. I'm either thinking what's next or what have I, what did I miss? You know, and, um, uh, you know, what is it, what does it mean to just truly be here? And that leads directly to this acceptance piece, which whatever it is that I'm here now doing, I have to be here now doing. And, 
I I might as I guess it's it's dismissive to say I might as well accept it, but uh, it it's the em- embracing it as you know whatever it is in front of me, not cataloging an emotional response to something, but just being present with it as a as an event, as an element, as a relationship, whatever it is, and uh, it's it's really easy and sort of instinctive to to you know fall back into the pattern of. Um, I, I am not a thing if I am not emotionally reacting to a thing. And, and I think yeah. that leads into season two. I think for me, the strongest, the, the strongest like episode, or I should say pair of episodes for that for me was Victoria Castle on the, the trance of scarcity and the cycle of abundance and uh, being able to sort of turn that on its ear. And she, uh, you know, a number of my interactions with her since when she, um, she stops and, and just processes, and you can tell she's just doing exactly that. She's being present in the moment about how she feels, how her body exists right now, how she is emotionally re- reacting emotionally, and is the, and and what does that mean for decisions she has to make? And I've been trying to be much more like aspirationally Victoria uh, in mm. it since that conversation. Just like, hey, I know I'm being presented with this. Maybe it's an opportunity. Maybe it's a crisis whatever it is but i just need to i need to stop and as you have reflected many times i need to think more slowly uh that's yeah. a powerful thing for me it's got to slow down mm-hmm. yeah victoria introduced a really neat idea to this these ideas of acceptance and and observation in just presenting an idea of what if a whole lot of what resists change is trance-like. Yeah. And she she talks mostly about the trance of scarcity, but I think it really points to a much larger issue. Like, um, And she defines that trance of scarcity as the unexamined predisposition to believe that lack, struggle, and separation are our defining reality. That's a really interesting way to put that. And trances, kind of by their nature, uh, are exclusive. So they they hyper-focus on one element of the experience and then exile everything that doesn't fit that one element. Right. Trances are by nature the opposite of what Jerry Campbell came to tell us about his definition of mental health, the tolerance and hardiness for mixed contradictory feeling and thought. A celebration of cognitive dissonance. Right. Yes. Yeah. Finally calling that a good thing. Yeah. It doesn't have to mean you're broken just because you your brain is trying to adapt to competing ideas. And I, I paused on Victoria's stuff, too, as kind of a cool lens to look at all the other guests of season two. Like, Lance Bennett came to talk about politics and climate change mm-hmm. and, you know, how those have changed over time and how they might change in the future. And, like... If you're not, if he's not describing a trance, I mean, I mean, entire cultural trance, I don't know what he's talking about, right? Like, we're in a hell of a trance on both subjects. Right, right. And True. having a hard time waking up. Yeah. Yep. I saw Lynn McTaggart talking about the breaking of this, this trance that would, would say our thoughts don't have any power. That hmm. they're meaningless and internal. And kind of pointing to the surprising reality of our interconnection Mm -hmm. um you know that when 
when people intend for others, they begin to experience something very powerful for themselves. Right. Um, the Klontzes are certainly talking about trance-like behavior with money. Oh. Right? So, and that was another one that seems like, oh, and if you look at the just sort of list of all the episodes that we did, that one seems, I, I guess, on its surface, the, the different one, right? But it is dealing with all of these exact same issues, the same issues of of the the trance of uh, you know scarcity and acquisition, and of old old lenses, old tapes with how we handle money and how we relate to money, and the like trying to overcome the muscle memory that just like takes hold when we deal with long term financial planning and and hoarding instincts uh, based on fear, and um, yeah, you know I think their their approach to it I think was really. That was really great. I learned a lot from that experience. The ultimate trance that almost the entire world is in that never gets examined is that one that people wake up from when they have an NDE. Yeah. Which is the the trance of isolation, that we are yeah. entirely separate beings, right? And if, do you remember like the, those life review things? I don't know how well we conveyed this in our show and afterthoughts, but in the book, it becomes really apparent in some of these that uh, maybe in the exercise we covered it, that, those quotes I yeah, shared. Yeah, the readings. Yeah. You can't take an action in this life without it, you know, without it affecting you. Mm -hmm. We're absolutely interconnected. Right. And on the other side of it, you get to feel all of it. Not just yeah. the I am Dodge Ray, but I'm also Pete Wright. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> and you everything should, I'm you doing should is be Dodge so lucky. affecting you. Right. You should be, see, <laughs> I can I can just, you know, promote myself right there. You have something to look I'm forward actually to. Pete. <laughs> That's something to look forward to. I'm going to get to feel like Pete. This is going to be a good day for me. Um, what else stood out to you about season two? Like, was there more stuff that, that jumped? I was super excited about Lance Bennett because he's the guy who just sort of speaks my language a little bit. And I think, you know, coming to yeah. a lot of these conversations, I'm, I am, uh, I think, more of a novice. Like, this is language that you truck in every day. And, and so mm -hmm. for me, Lance, uh, and, and to a similar extent, Suman, um, like, or not Suman, uh, Sam, Sinyangwe, um, like, that's a, that's, a language that I speak. And so it was mm -hmm. really interesting in the case of Lance to think about like how all of these concepts apply directly to the work that he's doing too. And and I think a lot of people forget it who are in the, you know, um, social sciences, political sciences, like they forget just how human these political decisions and political trends are, right? They, it, they you lose track of the humanity when you uh, aren't able to approach through the lens of scarcity and abundance, through intention, through, um, you know, uh, as, as uh, Jerry says, through that, that sort of tension between love and fear. When's the last time you heard a politician talk about love and fear? Uh, I actually think <laughs> we get a little bit of it. I was listening to the, the uh, Biden speech from uh, yesterday as we record this and and he he starts to dabble in this and it, i couldn't help but think there's a guy who kind of has has made that transition through great personal loss uh over his yeah. lifetime and career um to being more comfortable using the language that we have been using this over the last two seasons of this show and that's a really special it's a really special place to be when you see it out there in a space that is so typically 
just this intransigent, this like concretized field of ignorance and and division and yeah, and cynicism. So I think that's I think that's really special to hear how Lance brings some of that language to his to his own ideology, his own worldview. Uh, Amazing. Absolutely. I found myself thinking a lot about um, Wei Wu Wei. For those who haven't heard it or don't remember that idea that comes out of Taoism, as um, William Martin, Bill Martin talked with us about, it's it's that idea of doing without doing. The idea of of, um, kind of allowing an action to come from oneself rather than forcing one. Mm -hmm. And that the results are really very different when we do it that way. Yeah. Um, Bill, Bill Martin was a special guy too. Like that's, I, I feel like I didn't say enough about Bill Martin because that was, <laughs> that was a really wonderful conversation. And um, I, I think it, it's a guy who spent his, you know, his career m- making the cognitively impossible sound easy and approachable. <laughs> so much right. about the the Tao Te Ching that is, uh, I think, a, a struggle when you sit down and start to process like we normally process things in Western culture. And it's so easy to say, mm, that's hard, maybe not delete, you know, when the the what he has done is provide the lens through which we can see something easy and uh, and the lessons of just sort of letting go giving yourself permission to be free to do without doing that's that is um that was really impactful for me i reached out to a highly recommended um ontological coach recently just to start a different kind of work i've been doing lots of therapy for years but i thought it'd be really neat to work with somebody from kind of a different change agent's point of view and she was asking me sort of like do you do you have a sense of an overarching goal like do you know where you really want to go and what popped out um, made her, like, crack up. Like, she just burst out laughing. And what I said was, after years of rowing my ass off, I finally want to learn how to sail. <laughs> right? That's really good. It's like that, yeah. that Taoist idea that if we can tap into a, a, an invisible but palpable force, in this case, wind, <laughs> mm-hmm. And add a little bit of skill and willingness to stop rowing. That force can take us anywhere we want to go. Yeah. But most of us are so busy breaking our backs with the damn oars in the water. Sure that this has to be hard that we don't for a moment wonder if maybe there's an easier way. I don't even know if most of us have even gotten to the water yet, man, like there's part of me that thinks, okay, like you have a fancy Tesla, but why'd you take the transmission out and run with your feet like the Flintstones? Like that's kind of the level of hard. Like, I don't Mm -hmm. even know if we could even, if we even are getting to the water right now. If we just use the water, like this is sort of the, (sighs) we're trying to get across the lake, you know, from here to where we want to be. Yeah. Here we're where to where we think we should be. Most of us are rowing. So here'd be a great example. I spent weeks torturing myself, deconstructing a knowing that I had from the beginning because it scared me. Yeah. Right. And I don't like to be impulsive. It scares the hell out of me. Arriving at an answer too soon terrifies me. I don't know why. Um, Perseverating and definitely terrifies you. And I do know why. Because it sucks. I live there. Yeah. Um, 
But so I, I got there and I was able I was able to kind of make note of it. But then I went into, oh, no, what if this is the wrong thing? What is this? How does this affect everyone else? Do I really want? There's a lot to lose. God, I'm, I'm going to feel sad. I already feel sad. Right. And anyway, I got stuck there and I went straight into effort. Now effort. I got to do the math. Effort. Oh. I got to just make this decision. I got to make the right decision. I got to really try. I'm going to really, really work at this. Right. And I got my oars out and I started rowing like crazy. Right. Back and forth, you know, from one dock to the next, pretty yeah. much going absolutely nowhere. nowhere. Yeah. Nowhere. Until it occurred to me, I, I don't even believe in this as a way to get anywhere. There isn't anything to decide. I say all the time to clients, what if we stop deciding and just discover? Yeah. So then I was interested in, what if I discover? So then I really worked hard at discovering. <laughs> <laughs> I could tell you how far that went. Yeah. Nowhere. Um, and then I realized, oh, wait, I'm still in effort. I'm still rowing. There's yeah. no way, there's no way in this at all. Yeah. So then I sat down and I meditated and I said, I am going to trust that I already know what's best for absolutely everybody. Okay. And that that will be, that will bubble up to my conscious mind soon. And it's going to feel so good. Tearfully laugh out loud, wonderful, when I finally am like, God, there it is. I knew all along. Mm -hmm. And I honestly had no idea what the answer was going to be. But I just decided I'm going to trust that's already there and it's coming and I don't have to try at all. It will just arrive. And then I get an email out of nowhere from somebody that had owed me an email for long enough that I'd forgotten that I'd ever even written to her. And she was somebody I'd worked with a long time ago. Um, it doesn't even matter what the medium was. But she was like, hey, so sorry I never wrote, your, wrote you back. And I realized, oh, that reading a long time ago had kind of a key to me understanding myself better. And that would have a lot to do with what I needed. So I called her up. She gave me a really cool Sufi prayer. <laughs> and the Sufi prayer was one you say right before you go to sleep, asking for a dream of mm -hmm. guidance. And uh, then I wake up with this dream that helps me know I got to talk to Charles and I got to talk to Ted. Mm -hmm. All of a sudden, everything started getting really clear. Yeah. But it ended up being like this really cool sort of path through all sorts of the different folks we've worked with, even Linda Odom in her dreams, yeah. you know? Yeah, right. I guess I share all that to say, like, there's a way to allow that is so much more efficient than the thing I do when I'm in full of effort. I don't, I mean, it's, yeah. it's another one that's like, okay, like, I could, I could sit and think about that, uh, but it kind of hurts, because I realize yeah. just what a reflection that is for how I operate, Not maybe on the opposite end of the perseveration scale <laughs> most of the time, but it, it's because I... You know, I, I discover the act of discovery is just as elusive for me because I'm spending so little time in effort and so much time in just deciding. Right. Yeah. Like, I still don't really discover. Like, I think back and could litigate all of the decisions that I've made that weren't discovery based, that weren't like letting things unfold because I pushed too hard to just get to a resolution. And I, I wager that's equally difficult to process. It's a really popular strategy. I mean, you, you, you push through to the decision and then you burn all evidence of, of ambivalence, right? Totally you just, burn the just evidence, get that's rid of right. The, 
That's right. right. Hannibal crossing the Alps. <laughs> it's just right. Like it's a book burning down. ceremony on <laughs> the volumes of doubt you had about this decision just get scorched. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's a really easy way to do it. Um, right. It's not an easy way to do it. It's a very popular way to do it is what yeah. I mean to say. Yeah. Yeah. When I look back on the, the whole show, I was really wanting to see if I could understand, like, what is this change process? And we've really focused on the mysterious aspects, the paradoxical parts, because the the straight up change part, you know, the conscious willful mm-hmm. effort part seems to be pretty well covered. And you know who really captured the two together beautifully for me? Mm-hmm. was Jerry. So he comes in saying, there's nothing wrong with solving problems. That's great. It just doesn't always work. Yeah. You can't always do the math or try harder, you know, row and row and row and get anywhere. Yeah. Some problems are meant to dissolve. It's not better. Sometimes dissolving doesn't work quite the way solving does. Sometimes, like, in fact, there's an issue you can just fix. But if you don't have both of them in your tool belt, like a both hammer and screwdriver, you're going to have a problem. <laughs> well, and what's so great about Jerry, though, is that he brings that sort of, uh, that the journey to it all that uh, it doesn't matter how many tools you have in your tool belt if you haven't uh, or you are not able to process what came before and what you know what will come after like life is a journey and we are integrated pieces and like he you know he trucks out Joseph Campbell and the hero's journey (laughs) and these sort of uh, uh, how we adapt to our threshold guardians right and how we you know how we confront them and how we move through them and um i think that's just a really special way and i think i mean he was the fine focus follow right like that yeah that's a that's a mantra that's a dissolving process yeah, that's a dissolving yep. process and i think that's a I, I think you're you're right i mean and, and to have him as late as we did in the overall sort of arc of the show i, I think he makes a really great prequel to the NDE episode with Bruce like that mm-hmm. if, if you're looking for a way to create the and manifest the kind of change that people have experienced through near-death experiences that you and I said we're jealous of right? you yeah. really don't have to look that far than Jerry Campbell who's sort of outlining here's how you can start making that change in your own life the dissolving he talks about kind of brings me back to bill martin and taoism and that that idea of mutual arising opposites Mm -hmm. when we're into our solving stuff um you know we tend to create crests that of waves that Mm -hmm. then create troughs right like we we bring in one energy and the world will necessarily bring in its opposite somewhere Yeah. yeah Every action has an equal and opposite reaction. This is the mutual arising of opposites piece. And so the dissolving process is, it's where we kind of let go of all of that striving and pushing and creating and, and kind of wave making. Mm-hmm. Um, which you see also suggested by everybody else. Yeah, Like my brother and talking about, you know, being with feelings that are inevitable. Or Dave talking about the basic givens of life. When you stop mm-hmm. fighting with them and resisting them, 
you stop giving them so much power. Yeah. There's kind of quieter theme, though, that also emerges from that idea that really was where I got to with this NDE episode. And I'm going to see if I can capture this without sounding trite because it words totally fail on this. But it was I think it was finally the deep knowing that I contacted in talking with Ted. So one problem with this mutual arising of opposites is if you fight with your experience, you feed it, you make it bigger. Mm-hmm. But there's also a really nice way you can use it, which is that you tend to get what you give. Of all the people who've, you know, joined us and shown that, in some ways, the most beautiful is Kratos and Yangwei, Samson Yangwei's father, who tells this story growing up in the most extreme poverty of, of Africa. He's in Botswana. He is a child without shoes who's supporting his whole family by, you know, catching fish and and buying loose fruit and selling it for a little tiny bit more to tourists so that he can bring money home to his family. And he's like 10. Mm -hmm. And along comes this little European boy, British boy, who's got an attendant with him, a guardian, and the little guy wants to fish. And so he drops a giant hook in the water and a big piece of bait, and the fish come along and steal it. And he gets more and more angry. And he can't understand why Kratos is catching so many fish. And he gets mad at him. He says, you're catching all the fish. That's why I can't catch any. And so he kicks him. And Kratos laughs at him and says, hey, (laughs) it's not that. You just have the wrong size hook. I have one more. And he gives him like his last fish hook. This kid who has nothing, who depends on these hooks, gives him his last hook. And the kid catches his, his first fish of his life. And he's so thrilled. He runs all the way home, jumps up and down comes running back, wants to catch more fish, and does so, and they become friends. And this ends up completely changing Kratos' life. Yeah. In ways that bring him ultimately all the way to America. You know, it means an absolutely incredible story. But what an amazing moment of, he showed love to this little brat. Yeah. And it opened up the loving... him. (laughs) Right. a kicker. (laughs) Exactly. He shows generosity to this little brat. And the entire universe opens its generosity in yeah. return. Yeah. Just impossible grace comes his way. But there are many others like who've shown the same thing. Like, look at what Lance is advocating in politics or what Lynn is showing with science, that literally mm-hmm. if you sit down and you send love and goodwill towards somebody else, you begin to experience it in your life. Provably, that if you send healing to others, you begin to experience healing. It's fascinating. Well, and and Sam too, uh, but about the police violence, like just presenting the data and giving it to the world, to these police forces around the country, is is an act of goodwill, right? It's an act of grace and generosity coming from a person who has every right to feel completely targeted just because of what yeah. he looks like. And he is, it is a massive act of grace to present this data in a way that is uh, made approachable by people who likely do not want to hear it or do yeah. want to hear it and don't know what to do about it, right? Like, And already paying dividends for his whole community and certainly yeah. in his life. Yep. Yeah. And then, of course, Bruce just talking about all the ways that shows up in people's lives and their near-death experiences and life reviews. 
pretty special. It's really huge. Um, there was this moment on Sunday where I realized like this longtime motto that's been part of the gray sequence, which is sort of like bringing one's some, some sensation in the body, more love, not less. Mm-hmm. has become sort of a life motto for me. When I'm stuck in any given situation, I find I rarely go wrong if I just go with more love, not less. Mm-hmm. But man, did that hit home in such a sweet yeah. way as Ted and I were talking. I was just like, that's what I want to do. That's what this show's been about. That's what I want to do next. Um, more and more of, I want to bring this technique back out into the world in a way that helps as many people as possible. Um, it's what works. It's been a pretty good ride. Maybe too it's short. It's been a hell of a good ride. But it's been a good ride. Yeah. These, these episodes aren't going anywhere. They're still on the site. And you can still access them and use them and meditate with them and learn from them. I feel like there's a lot of evergreen stuff in here. Still has a lot of headroom to help people. We have a number of listeners who will come back and say, man, it wasn't until the fourth time I heard that one with so-and-so that it really opened up for me. And I'm glad these will all be available for a long time. I'm going to be sending lots of folks back to say, hey, do you mind going and looking up this one episode with, let's say, Jerry or Lynn or Ben or whatever? Yep. And see what you can find there. And who knows how this is going to circle back. We know we're, we're stopping for now. I don't mm-hmm. know what will happen next. I don't know if if this will evolve. And when there's more time in, in our lives and we've got another kind of way to approach it or another way to fund it or who knows what, um, we may come back and, and do more work in the podcast realm or somewhere else. I don't know. I hope so, because I kind of live here in the podcast realm. And you live here so freaking beautifully. I just mm-hmm. want to say a huge public thanks for just, I mean, your ancient friendship with me. It feels like it's been my entire life, though I guess it started somewhere in my young 20s. It's been all of them and many lifetimes more, I think. But also just your your skill set is amazing, Pete. Oh, thank you. Uh, <laughs> one old friend wrote back and said, this show is awesome. You did a great job. But that Pete guy, he's a national treasure. <laughs> <laughs> That's so kind. I mean, you've made these uh, shows sound sound cool and move smoothly and uh, have just brought so much charm and personality, but really also like company, you know? been relational instead of solitary and that's the only way i want to be in the world yeah well i mean at at the risk of like coming off in a way that i don't really intend to the it is a selfish experience for me too because like you're i've always valued the way you approach the world and the way you teach and the way you see and live and love and it i just learned so much by listening to you conduct these interviews and it's been incredibly valuable to me personally so it it does um like it it's not a complete act of grace on my part to be a part of this like i am a mm. i am a student as ever and it's it's been a real a real joy so i i will sit here and raise a glass to whatever project comes next for us me too my friend Practically, for those who are listening now, I think what we're going to, I don't think we've, you and I have talked about this, but I, I think what we're going to do is uh, go ahead and make everything public. Um, you know, the early release and members only episodes, um, you know, as this thing goes into the archives, I don't see any reason to keep those locked away. 
Nah, we'll just open them yeah. up to everybody, especially because yeah. I think once you turn off the member feed, I'm not sure they'd be able yeah. to access them. And let's just make, I want to make sure, especially members who've been so kind and supporting us can get back to any part yeah. of this they want for as long as they like. And so the the yeah. public feed, if you'd search, you know, Apple Podcasts or Pocket Casts or Google Podcast, whatever it is that you use for your podcast uh, listening, the the public episodes uh, that are there will now be inclusive of all of the yep. members-only episodes, including the Credo so just, episode. Why not? Absolutely. There's a four-and-a-half-hour epic journey. You can you can That's listen to Credo and one. then go watch Shogun. <laughs> it's, a, it's a really long <laughs> but wonderful conversation for sure. Yeah. Um, yep, so just anywhere you... you uh, you get your podcast, just go look up to Change Paradox and you'll find yeah. all the episodes there. I thought maybe we'd end with just something sort of experiential. I wanted to read a story um, that comes out of Victoria's book, The Trance of Scarcity, that uh, that gets to this this last piece we were talking about, this this last piece of, of giving being really where all the value is. Does that sound okay as yeah. a place to wrap up for today? Absolutely. She writes, A wise woman was traveling in the mountains when she came upon a beautiful clear stream. Thirsty, she cupped her hand, reached in, and brought the water to her mouth. After she had drunk, she noticed a precious stone in the palm of her hand. She held it high and it glittered in the sun. Delighted, she tucked the treasure into her bag. The next day, the wise woman met a hungry fellow traveler, and without hesitating, she opened her bag to share what food she had. Immediately, the traveler caught sight of the precious stone and asked the woman to give it to him. She did so without the slightest hesitation. The traveler left, rejoicing in his good fortune. This stone was surely worth enough money to provide a lifetime of security to him. But only a few days later, he came back, his brow furrowed, and returned the stone to the wise woman. I've been thinking, he said. I know how valuable this stone surely must be, but I've brought it back to trade for something even more precious. Please give me what you already have within you that enabled you to so freely give me the stone. Ugh. Yes. Man. Love you, B. Thanks for this. That's wisdom right there. Yeah. I love you too, Pete. Thank you for everything. For all of you out there who've listened, whether for a short time or for a long time, we love you too. Thanks for showing up. Thanks for doing the work. You are gonna find your place, child. Of that much I know I'm sure. Keep on laughing at the rain, I guess. Isn't that the place to start? Someday you will be stronger than you are now But you will not know everything and when the water's spilling over the bow You'll still have me in the wings You gotta get up to get down, kid You gotta get down to get up again Gotta get up to get down, kid. You gotta get down to get up again.
your mother like she's made of gold After all she brought you here And if you're lost go see the ocean It will always help you steer Someday you will be stronger than you are now But you will not know everything Spilling over the bow You're still happy in the wind You gotta get up to get down, kid You gotta get down to get up again You gotta get up to get down, kid You gotta get down to get up again I still won't know everything But when I'm passing up and over the clouds I hope that you'll have learned from me Someday you will be stronger than you are now But you will not know everything And when the water's spilling over the bow You'll still have me in the way You gotta get up to get down, kid You gotta get down to get up again You gotta get up to get down, kid You gotta get down to get up again You gotta get up to get down, kid You gotta get down to get up again. You gotta get up to get down, kid. You gotta get down to get up again. 